So guys, I'll show the pictures um, next week, and May will bring in her pictures too, and then we can take it from there. Um, yeah, so um, for the, uh, the teaching today, if you want a title for it, and uh, Sede was coming and asking me, so what's the title? And I said, Kavu. And he said, sorry, how do you spell it? So I said, why don't you try? He said, K-A-V-O-O. I said, no, it's C-A-V-U. So uh, the title for today's teaching is C-A-V-U, Kavu. It's not a Greek word. It's not Hebrew either. It's uh, a word that's often used by fighter pilots. It's sealing and visibility unlimited. Sealing and visibility unlimited. That's what it means. Um, and that's when uh, you got clear skies. The sky is the limit. You can fly as far as you want to. And uh, whenever you have times, there's actually a restaurant like this in Richmond called Kavu, but they're on the f uh, ground floor, so I don't understand why they call it that. But <laughs> uh, I went there thinking you could have an amazing view, but uh, you could only see the cars on the road. But um, ceiling and visibility unlimited. And so I want to revisit some of the things we've talked about in the past and uh, remind us that when it comes to things that God has already said in the past, we need to realize that he still holds ceiling and visibility unlimited. And he's saying, hey guys, how high do you want to fly? How long are you going to persist with this so that I can do what I want to do? Yeah, so that's the road we're going to go down today. So in Jan in, uh, Jan on January 10th, on January 10th, 2021, which was more than 22 months ago, uh, we talked about how um, one of the things God wanted to do was bring about a revival amongst the teens to the 20s and to the 30s, and that he would do it through us. And this was not a Vancouver phenomenon, it was global. And that it was either someone who would be highly presumptuous, full of themselves, or ones who listen to God who would be able to bring this to pass. And we talked about that in January of 2021. And that was 22 months ago, and we haven't seen uh, much breakthrough. We have seen pockets of uh, meetings happening or uh, one or two stories, but we haven't seen much happening. But then every time I feel discouraged about something that God may have said 22 months ago and nothing has happened, I think of what was spoken in um, May of 2020. In May of 2020, God said, listen, guys, adopt Wally. That was in May of 2020. When I look at Wally right now and what's happening there, it blows my mind, eh? Every time, every Tuesday, every Friday when these guys come back with stories about Wally, it just blows my mind at how much God has done. And it's only with a bunch of 10 or 12 guys that it's happening. When God says something, he's able to fulfill it. It might take time. It might take six to seven years. Because he, he's not talking about raising a garden. He's talking about changing people. People are the hardest things to change. The greatest miracle that happens every day on earth is when people change their minds and become something they never were. Everything else is easy. You can heal a limb. You can cast out a demon. You can even raise the dead. But what you cannot do is change the mind of a person because there is the will of the person involved. 
Nineveh took 40 days of preaching. Nineveh took 40 days of preaching before things changed. Jesus came here on earth and he tried his best. Got about 12 people out of which one stayed, the 11 ran. One betrayed him. And then over the last 2,000 years, you see people just turning to him. It takes time, but God is looking for a people who can persist with what he said. With Wally, a few persisted. A few persisted, and now every week we hear stories of what God is doing, and it fascinates me. I envy them. I envy the guys who have been persistent with Wally. I'd suggest you join them and get a taste of what God is doing there. If God can take and do things in Wally when he talked about it in May 2020, I'm saying to you that Jan 10, 2021, when he first started talking about, listen, guys, I'm calling you to ignite a global revival amongst the teens, the 20s, and 30s, when he said that, he actually is able to pull it off. The question is, will we persist with him? And the reason I named this teaching Kavu is because God is saying, listen, the ceiling and the visibility is unlimited. I'll give you whatever you need. I'll let you fly as high as you want. I'm going to do it anyways, and I wanted to start with you. Are you going to persist with it? That's the question. So, all breakthrough... Whenever God does something like this, it requires a breakthrough, but all breakthrough is violently opposed. All breakthrough is violently opposed by religious spirits. All breakthrough is violently opposed by religious spirits. So you would think religious spirits, hmm, must be really evil. Religious spirits always work through people. What kind of people? You and me people. A religious spirit finds it very hard to believe what God has said. A religious spirit looks for evidence, and if there's not evidence that fits with your way of thinking, you despise it. A religious spirit always opposes any move of God. Eh? One of the things I have to keep telling myself is, Jacob, just because you don't see it, don't stop believing it, because some things take time. Stick with it. How many things have you seen in your life? You stuck with it, and you've seen it happen. Breakthrough is always opposed by Opposed violently by religious spirits. And a religious spirit is a spirit that requires evidence before it believes. A religious spirit is a spirit that loves status quo and does not want to break out. A religious spirit is a spirit that likes hanging out on Sunday mornings in a building like this, singing to God, knowing his amazing presence, but it doesn't want to go out and do anything with it. Any movement of God requires that a people move out of their present status into a place that is uncomfortable, unfamiliar. As required of all of us. These kind of breakthroughs in terms of what God wants to do amongst the teens, the 20s, the 30s, across the earth can only happen when a people put up sustained resistance. You have to, be, you have, you have to, you have to put up sustained resistance to present status quo. Sustained resistance to present status quo. If we don't do that, God will find another way to do it. Someone said in the, uh, earlier today that God loves working with us. So one of the things God really enjoys is working with us. But if he finds that I'm not willing to work with him or I'm not willing to walk with him, he can always find somebody else because uh, he really can do it himself. He just enjoys having me along for the ride. He can do this on his own. The nature of a revival is that every so often God decides, hmm, 
it's time to shift things because things are beginning to veer off course. Let me step in and let me pour out my spirit in a way that begins to bring people back. It's he who does it, eh? And then he looks for a group of people who he thinks may be pliable. And then he selects them and says, hey, want to work with me? And if they choose to, they're on, they go on the ride of their life. And if they choose not to, he always has others that he can work with. But he gives us first dibs. That's how this thing works. So there has to be sustained resistance to present status quo. When things are not working, when things seem slow, when progress seems limited, when fruit is um, sparse, that's when we begin to stand, eh? I love Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Uh, look at what he says. He says, though the fig tree has not blossomed, though there be no cattle in the stall, though the olive tree has cast its fruit, yet I will persist and I will, I will engage in cartwheels of joy because I know what God will do. One of the things that you and I have to decide is how sure are you that this is a God thing and how sure are you that this is something God will do? That's a question I always ask myself. Even last night when I was writing down these points, I was thinking to myself, hey, Jacob, do you really believe it? Can you die for this? Do you really believe that a bunch of ragtag guys like us sitting here are going to be used by God to ignite a revival that will spread across the earth amongst the teens, the 20s, and the 30s. It's ridiculous. we got nothing. I remember explaining this, um, and I have it here. I've taken a photograph of it, thank God. Um, look at this, eh? Sorry? Okay. Um, so... How does this work? How does this work? Here's how it works. What God does is, he picks a group of people. He picks a group of people. And that's his sovereign choice. He decides who he's going to pick. And he commissions them. He picks a group of people. He commissions them to carry out his plan. This is a sovereign choice, eh? He may have his reasons, but there's no arguing. When you look at you and I, who are we, man? We, we are nothing. It's very small in number. Um, the only thing going for us is our looks. That's about it. For some of us, yeah. Not all of us, yeah. Sorry, I sometimes think of you like I think of myself. So, <laughs> so... Uh, how does God revive things? He, he picks a group of people. It's a sovereign choice. Sometimes he has reasons and he explains his reasons why. Sometimes it's just a sovereign choice. We don't understand why. And he commissions them. As in, he says, hey, I'm setting you apart for this and I'm giving you the clout or the resources to do it to carry out his plan. That's how he begins. That's how he begins. So in this case, he's chosen us at Acts 29 to do this. Uh, what does he want us to do now that he's chosen us? He wants us to live it. He wants us to announce it. And he wants us to ignite it. Ignite others. And what happens when we do that? When we do that, it carries into lives. It carries into towns, it carries into cities, and eventually it carries into nations. 
That's how simply it works. We begin to live it, we begin to announce it, we begin to ignite others. You cannot ignite others without living it and announcing it. Both have to go hand in hand. At the Young Adult Retreat, I want to talk about how, how can we live and announce it so that others are ignited. But this is how it works. Live it, announce it, ignite it. When that happens, it carries into other lives, it carries into towns, it carries into cities, it carries into nations. You might say, no, that's not possible. Well, then the question is this. Can the spirit change one broken, addicted, sinless person? I think of myself. I know the drug background that I came out of. I think of Marcus. I know the drug background he came out of. I think of Pavan. I know the drug background he came out of. Can God change Completely change, completely convert, completely transform. One addicted, sin-infested, one addicted, sin-infested, broken person. Can God do that with one? Can the Holy Spirit do that with one person? Yes. Hey, there's living proof in this room. It, it, the question then is, can he change that person's family? Can he change Marcus's family? Can he change Pawan's family? Can he change my family? Of course he can. Can he change... My neighbor, through me. Yeah. Can he change a few of my neighbors? This is how it goes, guys. It is so easy for God. So easy for God. But for whatever reason, he chooses to do it through me. And if I'm not available, he can still pull it off. Still pull it off. I think of the number of friends that Pawan has told about Jesus and about the change in his life. Marvel at it. If we were to look back at our lives and see the number of lives that have been touched because Jesus touched our lives, you'll be fascinated. Each of us could have a church of at least 70 or 80 people if you've lived about 20 years. It's crazy. Anybody here, if you went back over the last 20 years of your life, you would find at least 70 or 80 people that were touched by your life and changed. We don't realize it, but this is how it works. So this is a process, eh? A group of people, in this case you, all of you here. If you're here, even if you're here for the first time, then how come you turn up on a day like this? Why are you here to listen to this? You, you think you're here by accident. Nothing happens by accident. A group of people, sovereignly chosen by God, commissioned by God to carry out His plan, to live it, to announce it, to ignite it, so that it carries into other lives, into towns, into cities, into nations. That's how it works. So, going back to what I was saying, we need someone, and I'm talking about you guys and me, sustain resistance to present status quo, and then you've got to have eyes of faith. You have to eyes, have eyes of joyful faith. Faith is always joyful. Eh? Faith that is under pressure is not faith. Eyes of joy, joyful faith that persists that persists despite sometimes an absence of evidence. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19 is just such a, such a summary of that. Eyes of joyful faith, eyes of joyful faith that persists. Now one day this will happen, one day this will happen. Hey, this church is a result of eyes of joyful faith. People who gathered together, early days. We, had, uh, we even had a church mouse. The place was really small. It could only accommodate eight people. 
one day while we were worshipping, everyone's doing this. And I'm thinking to myself that maybe they got affected by God. No, it was a mouse was running around and all the ladies were jumping. So we even had a church mouse in those days <laughs> with eyes of faith. Uh, with eyes of faith, I bought, a, uh, I bought a drum set. I don't know how to drum. Eyes of faith, I bought a drum set. And then Marcus and Lorian walked in. Had a drum set but didn't have drumsticks. And so this is a result of eyes of faith. You think that when God says something, he can't bring it to pass if he has a people who resist status quo and who have eyes of joyful faith to persist despite the lack of immediate evidence. In a world of instant everything, God doesn't work like that, man. It's only a matter of time you'll see this. You'll see pockets in different countries, teens, 20s, 30s. Why teens, 20s, 30s? Because the next 20, 30, 40 years are going to be affected by them. Hey, 42 youth in this church, 42 young adults in this church turning up for a retreat. You know how many young adults we had for the first 10 years? I was a young adult. Everyone else was older. When, when <laughs> Derek walked into the church, um, he thought maybe there are some girls here I could get married to. <laughs> Found none. <laughs> when uh, when uh, um, Matt and Rachel walked into the church, they even came and met with me and said, you know, there are no young people here. We are thinking of moving. I sent them to three really bad churches and they came back immediately. That was a trick. I'm kidding, Matt. Those are good churches. Yeah. But I'm glad they came back. The point is, uh, the impossible is happening. You will find it happening in pockets. Just stick with it. At least, I don't need to tell you that. You guys are going to stick with it. I just want to encourage us to focus. Eh? This is part of our humongous global mandate. When we go into these different nations, so went to Dubai, went to Saudi, went to Bahrain, went to India, went to Kenya, went to Houston, went to New York, in the last 40 days, different people from different parts of this church went there, not just me. In every case, we met with young. Not because there's something wrong with people over 55. I am over 55. But because we know that what needs to happen over the next 30, 40 years depends on how we shape the teens, the 20s, and the 30s. They ignite, you're done. Why do you think I asked my nephew to come and um, hang around? I mean, it's expensive. You've got to feed him three times. <laughs> the reason I asked him to come and hang around is so that he's 18. He'll be 18 on November 2nd. And uh, thank God he's leaving before that. No need to give him a gift. And so... <laughs> so... <laughs> so... Um, uh, but, but the reason I call him is, what if something ignites in him, eh? Not by hanging out with me, by hanging out with us. Iron sharpens iron. So we've got to begin to pursue this idea that God laid in our heart, hearts 22 months ago. Listen, guys, I'm, going to st I, I, I'm about to unleash, or I have already unleashed, a global revival. I'm going to use you to ignite it. So pursue. Always remember, in the kingdom, pursuit is by invitation. In the kingdom of God, pursuit is by invitation. Pursuit is by invitation.
As in, when God says pursue, it is because he's the one. He's the one that initiates the chase. He's the one that initiates. He's the one that initiates the chase. He's the one that initiates the chase. He comes and says, hey, pursue me. He did that with Adam. Adam is lost, and what does God go and do? He starts going to the garden and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He initiates the chase. With Paul, he's riding a horse, pursuing, uh, persecuting Christians. What does God do? Turns up in brilliant light, initiates the chase. Why are you fighting me, uh, Paul? You know it's pointless. You see it with, Zach- uh, with Zacchaeus. He's up on a tree. Who initiates the chase? Jesus. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house for tea. It is God who initiates the chase. He's the one who says, pursue me. Pursuit is always by invitation in the kingdom. You see it with Peter. He initiates the chase. He goes and says, Peter, can, I, can you put out your boat for a while? And Peter says, I haven't caught any fish. He says, throw your net on the other side. Peter goes down on his knees after catching the fish and he says, go away from me for I'm a sinner. Who initiates the chase? Jesus initiates the chase. It is always by invitation. Pursuit is always by invitation. Guess what that means, guys? He's inviting you and I saying, hey, I have initiated a chase. I want to ignite across the earth through a bunch of guys who nobody knows about a global revival amongst the teens, 20s, and 30s. I'm inviting you to pursue me on this and I'll show you how this is done. You will marvel. It is amongst the teens, 20s, and 30s. Who does it? The 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't think there's anyone over 80 here right now. Or if you are, you don't look it. What does pursuit demand? Demands consistency, which is why I'm rehashing something we've spoken of before. Because the only way to be consistent is to repeat. How do, you get, how do you become consistent? Repeat, 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 repeat. That's how you become consistent. Doesn't matter whether it's tying your shoelaces or toasting a slice of bread. You never get it right till you repeat. Consistency. Pursuit demands consistency. Pursuit demands purity. You can't pursue a pure God by being impure. You can't pursue a pure God walking impure. When you pursue this God, purity is a requirement, meaning a desire for purity, a desire for purity. I want to be blazingly pure. When that kicks in, it's really helpful. Foolish obedience, foolish obedience. You think it's easy to go tell people, hey, you know what, we have a church of about... 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 on a good day, and God's igniting a global revival through us. People will laugh, man. Foolish obedience. Wally was the same. Who are we to affect Wally? And Wally's being affected every week. Stories that are coming out of Wally are crazy. There's a service now on Tuesday, and there's a walking the streets on Friday. Foolish obedience. Act of the will. Act of the will. It's not feeling-based. It's not feeling-based. Pursuit must be an act of the will. When you don't want to go, you pick yourself and say, I have to go because it's not how I feel. It's the act of the will. And you need the knowledge of the word. You need the knowledge of the word so you know that you're on the right track. 
We'll talk about that another day. It's not all that important. So here's the thing, guys. Every revival, I love this, and this we might park here for a while. Every revival, be it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or since um, um, the last 2,000 years, every revival is an invitation to the church. Every revival is an invitation to the church. And listen to these words carefully, because if you get the hang of it, we got it. Every revival is an invitation to the church and the world to know the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. We get this, we got it. Every revival is an invitation to the church and the world and the world and the world from God to know what? To know the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. So we start with the holy God. It's critically, we're not talking about some God who is up to some trick or wants a few devotees or worshippers. We're talking about a holy God, the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. If this church gets it, there's nothing that can't be done. If I get it, there's nothing that can't be done. The nearness. How near? If you use the jaws of life and open me up, you'll find him that near. The greatness. How great? You are Alpha and Omega. Of who? Of a holy The moment this church gets it, lives it, game over. That's it. The nearness and greatness of a holy God. Get this, and there's nothing that can stop God through this people. Of what fights it? Why is it that we are dull to it? Because this is already a done deal, eh? Is there any question of his greatness? No. He is Alpha and Omega. What is there that he cannot do? What is there that he can fail at? What has he decided that will not come to pass? How can you stop his will? He's unstoppable. The greatness is unquestionable. The nearness? Again, how do you question nearness? How nearer can he be? My spirit and his spirit have become one. He can't be any nearer. Of a holy God. The holy God concept sometimes is difficult. Absolutely holy. Eh? Brilliantly holy. The nearness and the greatness of a holy God. So what stops it? What dulls us to it? I'd say one of the things that dulls us to it is the cares of the world. Things that happen through the day, your work, your academics, uh, the money that you need for uh, paying off bills, all those things begin to crowd, eh? That is why we don't recognize his nearness, because we are people who have become one with him. There are no other people like this on earth. Christians are a special species, guys. Christ lives in them. No other religion on the earth even dares say that. Hear, hear me, 
I'm not trashing other religions. But I'm saying to you that no other religion on earth dares say that the God of the universe has now come and he lives in you. They'll say stuff like we become one with uh, uh, the Atma becomes one with the Paramatma and all this stuff, as in uh, dualism. But there is no religion on earth that dares say. You know why they don't dare say? Because they're not allowed to say that. That God has become a father and that God has come and he has begun to dwell in man. There is no nearness nearer than that. This God who is transcendent, as in we cannot approach him, has chosen to approach us. You cannot approach him, but he can approach you and he can live in you. That's the kind of God this is. eh? There is no question about his nearness. There is no question about his greatness. There is no question about his holiness. He is so holy that he is brighter than the brilliant midday sun. Revelation chapter 1. And this God, why is it that we are not aware of him? One, because of the cares of the world. I suddenly become unaware of him. Nearness, ah, he seems so distant when I'm afraid. He seems so distant when I'm panicking. He seems so distant when I'm anxious. He seems so distant when I have a need. This is the practice of it. Can I get to a place where I begin to know the nearness and the greatness of a holy God? Another thing that drives him away or, or distances him or makes, uh, makes us dull to him is self. Self. I am the center of my universe, not him. And the sooner I displace myself from the center of my life, the greater I'm aware of his nearness and his greatness. Third thing is just sin. First John 2.16, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes gets in the way. I become unaware of him because I begin to enjoy the sin that I practice. And the fourth one is legalism. Legalism. Where we begin to think that I did this, so God is going to do this. I did this to that person, God. You know, it's, it's a shame that Christians live karma. We say we don't believe in karma, but we live like we believe in karma. Karma means whatever is good, good will be given to you. Whatever, is, whatever you do bad, bad will be rewarded you. That ain't a Christian concept, but we live like that. We don't live like a restored, forgiven people. We live as if, if we do wrong, God's going to do something that will teach us a lesson. If we do good, God's going to reward us. That is so karma, it has nothing to do with Christianity. Um, Galatians chapter 6 do not be deceived God is not mocked what a man sows he reaps can you imagine what would have happened to us if we actually reaped what we sowed most of us would be dead by now God is saying hey don't sow bad seed because you will reap bad crops but he's also saying you have no idea how many weeds I pull out every hour So we don't live in the fear of this is going to visit us. Because that's how the Old Testament believers used to live. Reach this mark and you will qualify. Don't reach this mark and you are fried. So on one hand, God is not saying, hey, now that I've forgiven you, just go and sin big time, Jacob. He's not saying that because that will always cause a reaping that will be consequential. But he's also saying, listen, please trust me on this one. 
live, live in a way that is freer. Because I, th this morning I did something wrong uh, to someone. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, someone's going to do you wrong. I'm thinking to myself, what kind of thinking is that? Sure, I wronged someone. Okay, Jacob, go and ask Emmanuel to forgive you. Tell him you're sorry. But don't walk around thinking, I did Emmanuel harm, so the real Emmanuel is going to whack me. As in, God. Because <laughs> that's how we think, eh? It, 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 it destroys the nearness of God. And the more I think of nearness and the greatness of a holy God, the easier it is for us to be holy. The nearness and the greatness of a holy God makes the people holy. Let me assure you, if Jesus turned up in your house this afternoon when you went home, it'll be amazing what will happen to your house. You wouldn't even be trying. But something happens. I met, uh, uh, when I was in New York, I met Chad's dad. Chad's dad is 70-something. He, um, he's a very humble man. He's, he's the head of all the assemblies of God for global. When you, but when you meet him, he's such a simple, humble guy that you think to yourself, how do guys become like that? How, do they, how are they so big and how are they so small? Meek. Wears the same clothes, lives in the same house for all these years. You, you come into his presence and every crooked bone in your body straights out and you stop joking. At least I stop joking. And I'm thinking to myself, if this man lived with me, I would straighten up pretty fast. If, if people can do that to you, what if you became highly aware of God? Like Caleb, if Caleb stays with me, he'll change. <laughs> what's, what's, what's with people here today? I mean, you don't have to learn from Diana, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tough crowd, man. You go away for three weeks, this is what happened. Derek, what have you been teaching? <laughs> so, one of the desires, please, please highlight this line, eh? Can I, Father, know your nearness and greatness? The nearness and the greatness of holy God. It'll transform life. The nearness and the greatness. It'll have to be practiced. Eh? It, it, I mean, you can learn it, but can you practice it? And every time you veer away to go back, to go back, to keep going back, the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. Your prayers will get more confident. The nearness of a holy God. The greatness of a holy God. Your prayers will get more confident. They won't be desperate. Once this happens, then God is able to pour out His Holy Spirit with extraordinary power. Once this happens, what God does is, Aha, I got a people who recognize me as a holy. I got a people who walk with me really near. I got a people who recognize my greatness. Alrighty, now I can outpour extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. Not just on the church, but on those who are yet to know. Both. Not just on the church, 
What use is it if he just keeps pouring his life on us? One of the things God loves doing, just remember this. I wish I could remember some lines and never forget them. God loves bringing new life. Everything about him is so opposed to death, decay, and stagnation. There's nothing in him. There's, not a, there's nothing godly. There's nothing in him that even thinks along the line of decay, stagnation, death. He, everything he touches brings new life. There's reasons why Jesus is walking down a road and a widow has a son being carried to be buried. There's a reason he times it that way. There's a reason he lets Lazarus' body lie in the grave for four days. It's not only dead, it's decaying. There's a reason. And then he touches and life happens. Much as those stories were meant to show his power, it was also meant to show his nature and character that I love bringing new life. Not just to us, but through us. This is why it says, out of your belly shall run. What? Dead, stagnant, reeking water? No. Out of your belly shall flow living water. It brings life. Carriers of life, eh? This is who he is. He loves doing it, man. And that's why every so often, he, he'll say, okay, time to pour out my spirit. Time to time in church history, he does this. It builds up like a tsunami. It feels like the splendor of God has been withdrawn. You listen to the news and you think, eh, great for the church to keep talking about it, but nothing is happening. But it's almost like a tsunami. The whole thing withdraws and it seems like nothing is happening. And people stand at the shore and they look at uh, the waters that have receded. And then there's this buildup happening eh, underneath. And I'm saying to you, man, the buildup is happening. I'm not trying to rara you. I'm not trying to make you go hallelujah. I'm just telling you a simple, simple fact. The buildup is happening. And when it bursts, that thing will wash across. And we'll see it. There's nothing like being at the beginning of something. Be in two places, beginning or the end. The beginning is more fun. And it disrupts, it disrupts, it disrupts. What does revival do mainly? Um, these are slightly heavy words, but the meaning is very simple. A revival arrests historical desolation. I'll explain it. And a revival launches generational restoration. Heavy words, they sound good, very simple in actual meaning. That's taken from Isaiah 49:8. Meaning, once God begins to introduce this across the earth, and He's going to do it among the teens, not He's going to do it. I must change my tense. He's doing it among teens, 20s, and 30s. What is He's doing? He's saying, hey, listen, I want to arrest historical desolation. In Isaiah 49, it's 8, He says, hey, I'm sending you out as a token of what I'm going to do. I want you to go and revive the nations. I want to end desolation, as in people have inheritances that I had prepared for them before they were born. It's been taken away. Their land lies desolate. There's nothing to show. Their heritage is like, lie ruined. Their buildings are broken. I want to arrest. I want to stop. I want desolation to cease. 
That's the first thing he says. And then he says, I want to launch generational restoration. As in, if I can get the teens, 20s, and 30s through you or through anybody else who's willing to work with me, here's what's going to happen. For the next 70 years, I'll turn the direction of the world. The next 70 years, I'll turn the... Let's assume that Caleb um, is supposed to be the next prime minister of the UK because anyone can be the prime minister of the UK right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, let's assume that... Uh, Caleb's going to be the Prime Minister of UK. So if we could work on him for the next uh, seven days and put into him everything required for godly prime ministership, what if he lives for another 40 years and is a Prime Minister of the UK for the next 40 years? We don't realize how things are affected, eh? When, when it says launch generational restoration... Who does he do it through? You. Some of us come from families that were not Christian. And now for years and years on end, for generations to come, till Jesus comes back, many families are going to be blessed because of one person like you. This idea of one person is critical to God, guys. But the one person happens to be every one person here. I don't know what May said to some people in Nairobi. But what if the words she uttered changed their lives? This is what revival does, see, in its broad sense. And the other thing it does is it dismantles David's tent and rebuilds it. Dismantles David's tent, which is basically the church, according to Acts 15, verse 16. Dismantles David's tent, which is basically the church, and rebuilds it. As in, God says, hey, you guys have been doing this for years on end. You kind of lost out on me and you kind of gained the church. Can I dismantle what you've been building and can I place my son at the center again? That's what happens. He places his son at the center. Everything else you are gets dismantled. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 towards the end. It says, there's one more shaking coming. And when the shaking comes, it'll shake everything so that only the unshakable remains. You know the only unshakable thing on the earth is Jesus Christ. He's the only unshakable thing. That remains. And then once the unshakable thing remains, get, guess what we get to do? We get to build around him again. And then over the years, stuff gets added. Garbage gets added. Trash gets added. Legalism gets added. He comes in again and says, time to dismantle and shake things again. He does shaking so often. Never be afraid of people leaving when a shaking happens. Eh? Shout hallelujah every time someone leaves. Don't, don't shout right now. Everyone's good here. So God is riding this new wave, guys. And he usually rides this wave with nobodies. He usually rides this wave with nobodies. With nobodies, the great thing, the great advantage God has with nobodies is that um, nobody pays attention to what he's doing. One of the things with God, always remember this, he operates with mustard seeds. He doesn't operate with uh, with a, with a huge thing. He operates with mustard seeds. Take any situation in the Bible, you will see that any movement of God was started with someone who was insignificant. Jacob, Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshipper. Jacob, well, we know about him. 
Jesus came from a family that couldn't even afford an expensive sacrifice. Turtle doves. Always starts with a mustard seed. This group is mustard seed quality. Nothing big about you. Why us? Hey, Emily, I hope... I think Emily told her guests that the service goes long because when you guys were drinking coffee below, they were eating lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> well done. Because <laughs> yeah. she must have told them the service goes really long. Better bring your lunch. Yeah. Sorry, Phoebe, we forgot to tell you that. Yeah. Why us? Uh, one of the reasons God gave, and I talked about this months ago, is um, that for 16 years, or 16 or 17 years, we've kept coming back to the blueprint. We've kept coming back to the blueprint. We've kept coming back to the blueprint. As in God keeps changing whatever he wants to change, and he, we keep changing. We've been quite flexible that way. We keep, we keep renaming things. We keep digging ancient paths. These are scriptures from the word that I'm just using. So there's one, one place where God says, hey, keep looking for the ancient paths, walk in them. We, we've kept looking for ancient paths, as in things that God has decided. We keep digging of wells that have been covered. We keep going and asking God, what do you want to change? What do you want to change? Couldn't care about the building. Couldn't care about how we look. And God likes that. Eh? One of the reasons he's chosen us is because of that. And I honor in particular the older ones here. Older ones is anyone older than me. Um, I honor the older ones here. Because it gets harder for us, for us who are older. But we've been highly flexible. Eh? If there are 42 young adults here, it's just because of the older ones who have moved aside to create room for you. Because for the first 12 or 13 years, none of you were here. Most of you have joined in the last three or four years. And the second reason God wants to uh, use us, um, not, nothing special, but I wrote it down exactly as he said, and I remember saying this to you. What he said was, your young people Young or young people are free. Your young people are free. They have learned to run after the things of the kingdom. They have learned to run after the things of the kingdom. Because they trust, I love this line, because they trust my goodness to take care of their lives. I love this line. I couldn't have come up with it. One of the, one of the distinctive things about the young adults here is that they've, they've, they've learned to run after the things of the kingdom, pay any cost, pay any cost to run after the things of the kingdom because they are absolutely sure that the goodness of God 
We'll take care of the needs. We'll take care of the cares. Man, most people discover that when they're dying. But you surprisingly have decided that I don't have to worry about the things of the world because I can run after the kingdom because the goodness of the Father will take care of my needs and my future. There are so many of us who think that if you become a... I mean, not so many. There are so many young people who think that if you run after God, you will not make it in the world. That if you run after God, you'll be poor. That if you run after God, your ambitions will shatter. That if you run, out of, run after God, that your dreams won't materialize. Man, your dreams are so puny. Your dreams are so puny. If someone told me years ago that I'd be doing what I'd be doing, I wouldn't even dream this. Because there's a limit to how much a man can dream. But is there a limit to what God can dream? What a, what a stupid exchange it is when we decide that we'll have a little bit of God in our lives so that we can have a lot of success in the world. Ain't going to happen every time it happens. Both the world and the enemy will yank the carpet from under your feet. One of the great things about you young adults in this church is you have decided that I will run after the things of God and the things of the kingdom because I know my father is good enough to take care of everything else that the world runs after. Well done. Can ask anything of you. And you do it, man. It's just nuts. Let me conclude. Long conclusion. Guys, there's this space between Ezekiel 22.30. What does Ezekiel 22.30 says? Ezekiel 22.30 says, I looked for a man who could stand in the gap, and I could not find one. So I decided to do it myself. That's what Ezekiel 22.30 says. That God looked for a man who could stand in the gap. I couldn't find anybody. Then 2 Chronicles 16.9. His eyes roam to and fro, looking for someone who can be loyal and steadfast, through whom God can display his mighty arm. We got to stand in that space, eh? Between God looking for someone to fill the gap and you turning up and saying, but I have been loyal and steadfast. Live in that space. Because at the end of the day, if each of us decides that it takes only one man, this thing will happen faster. It takes only one man. It takes only one man. When I say man, please remember, it includes women. So don't make me go um, Trudeau. <laughs> yeah. So... It takes one man. Always remember that, eh? And most of you are so not important, such nobodies. It takes one man. I mean, you look at the Bible and you'll see a series of them, eh? Proverbs 21, 22. If you read the message, it says, there was a city whose defenses were solid, but one sage, one wise man entered that city and he brought down the entire defense. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 15. It says, there was a city that had been um, besieged by an army of a very powerful king. But one poor man, with his wisdom, defeated the enemy. The man may never be known, but that one poor man defeated the enemy. 
It takes only one man. It takes only one man. It takes only one Derek to change Wally. It takes only one Pawan, one Mark, one Mohini. I mean, who are these people, man? They're nothing. You want to know their histories? Some of their histories, you, you will weep at what they've been through. One man. Takes one Remy. Takes one Emmanuel. Takes one Emily. Takes one May. Takes one Jacob. Do you know how many nations I've touched? And changed? One man. And what pedigree do I have? I don't, uh, I don't even have a degree uh, in, in Bible stuff. And the other degrees really didn't matter. Like Derek, he's got a degree from UBC. You think it works for him? That's on the side. But it takes only one man, guys. You, you look at the Bible and it's Numbers 16, 46 to 48. Numbers 16, 46 to 48. There is one man who's got a censer in his hand, full of incense, and he's running between people who are going to be affected by the plague. He keeps running. Moses says, Aaron, fill the censer with incense and start running. And as you run, let people decide which side they want to be on. If they're on this side, they will live. If they're on this side, they will die. And the plague is stopped. One man. There's another man called Phinehas. One man. He takes a javelin and he takes a javelin and thrusts it through Zimri and Cosby because they were dishonoring God and the plague stops. One man. You take David. An entire nation is saved because one man decides that even though he's a kid, he has the ability to go against a very strong Goliath. It's always one man. Want to hear about women? Take that one woman who decides that she's going to save the spies. And because she saves the spies, she ends a desolate heritage of being a Moabite. She's not even from amongst the commonwealth of Israel. Rahab is a prostitute. She ends her desolate heritage and she begins generational restoration because out of her womb comes Jesus Christ later. It only takes one person, guys. Joseph, sent before the famine, one man, put in shackles so that the word of the Lord tested him. Hey, let the word of the Lord test us. How does the word of the Lord test us? The word of the Lord tests us when we know God has spoken but there is no visible evidence but we keep at it, keep at it, keep at it because we know we have the permission, the invitation and the favor of God. And so we keep pursuing knowing that it's only a matter of time. It only takes one man or woman, guys. You don't wait for a pastor. You stand up and you say, if he is missing, I will. That's how this works. It takes one man. You take 1 Kings 22. There's a prophet called Micaiah. You know how many people he's surrounded by? 400 prophets. You know what they're saying? They're saying exactly opposite of what God is saying. But one man decides he will not validate what everybody is saying, but he will speak the truth. 1 Kings 22. Gosh, man, I pray God that as I tell you about... It takes only one man that something happens in your heart. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how many difficulties you have, how imperfect you are, how people look at you, how flawed you are, how you're suffering with sicknesses and diseases. There is someone in you. And he is one man too. Took the whole world upon his shoulders and turned it around, man. And then decides, okay, if you are flawed, Jacob, let me come and live in you. So that it takes only one man. Don't know English, doesn't matter. 
The number of people who don't know English or Hindi or one of the national languages and go into places that they cannot speak the language and change the place is crazy. God sometimes uses people with a foreign tongue to change a nation. We? That's French. Thank you. Hebrews chapter, Isaiah 51, 2. Look back at the quarry that you were cut off from. Look back at Abraham. Out of one man I created a nation. God is actually saying it. Isaiah 51, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 11. A man went out not knowing where he was going, not knowing where he had arrived, but out of that man, he now builds us. Talking about Abraham. Ezra, Nehemiah, one man stirred up. Gideon, one man stirred up. Please understand what's happening. Just one man. Please step into that gap. Please come with your flaws. If you're waiting for your flaws to all be removed, we'll have to visit you in a cemetery. And even then, they're not removed, you die with them. The only time you're going to be flawless is when we see you in heaven. So decide today, and I don't know how we're going to end, but decide today that on one hand you will say, like Jacob did, oh God, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I'm going to hold on to you till I see this come to pass because you have invited me to this. I will not let you go. We are a ragtag bunch. I will not let you go till you use us to live, announce, and ignite a revival that will spread across the earth from a tiny little place like this, across the earth, affecting ten, teens, 20s, and 30s. I will not let you go. If you want to let me go, you'll have to bless me with this. Otherwise, yesterday I was at a birthday of a seven-year-old. He likes me a lot. I noticed, yeah, um, uh, he likes me a lot. And so he wouldn't let me go. He wrapped his uh, arms around my feet. And uh, he's heavy enough now. You can't move. He wouldn't let me go, man. And I'm trying. I'm holding on to doors because I don't want to fall on the kid and crush him on his birthday. So... <laughs> Because like Diana said, I'm all muscle. And so I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying hard to move and I cannot move because he's wrapped his feet around my legs and I can't move. And I'm saying to myself, cannot let him go. Become a nuisance. Last night, I was really struggling with this teaching. I was saying, Jacob, do you fully believe this? If you fully believe this, become a nuisance. To whom? To God. Become an annoyance to God. Uh, that kid was a joyful annoyance. I'm glad that he likes me so much that he won't let me go. And I reminded him that he had to go for a movie and that's when he let me go. <laughs> so, and so, on one hand, I will not let you go. On the other hand, begin to um, first have this cry inside you and then the ability to do something about it. I will not let you go. And the other one is, let my people go. I will not let you go. Let my people go. And it should just begin to cause both compassion and anger and fierceness and persistence all colliding together, eh? where you're a confused mass of emotions. <laughs> I will not let you go till you bless me. 
I am not going to let you go. You said this for the sake of the earth, for the sake of the next 60, 70 years. If you don't do this, I will not let you go. You can change my name, you can bless me, but till you do, I will not let you go. I will hold on to you till the dawn comes. You want to go, you will have to shake me off, but I will not let you go. So that's one hand. On the other hand, let my people go. Let the ones in Wally go. Let the 16s and the 17s and the 18s go. Let the ones that are overdosing go. Let the ones that do not know Jesus go. Let the ones that are full of potential go. Let the ones that are like future Derek's, future Evans, future Nick's, future Aaron's go. Let them go. Let the ones that are pregnant and are planning to abort, let them go. Let the teens go. Let the 20s go. Let the 30s go. Because the entire earth can turn around, I'm telling you. Let them go. So on one hand, you say, let my people go. On the other hand, you say, I will not let you go till you give me what you call me to. I'm not even asking for what you didn't invite me to. You invited me to this. Well, then let me show you my persistence. When these two collide, God says, my God, I've picked the right ones. And then we begin to truly experience the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. And that kind of awareness, it is unstoppable, man. It begins to affect. It begins to affect. Unstoppable. Then you live it, you announce it, you ignite it. Just pray where you are and then at some point Jane will conclude with a song that not summarizes it but takes us down a direction. Please let this idea of I will not let you go and let my people go. Please let it collide in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Two things that we need to take from here. One, the permission, three things. One, the permission God is giving us and the invitation God is giving us saying, I want to do this on earth. I have picked you. Do you want to come and work with me? Two, the idea of, not the idea, that all revival happens because the people begin to recognize the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. And the third one, I will not let you go. Let my people go. Guys, I guarantee you, guarantee you, this will happen. Our hearts can make it happen faster. Yeah, so I'm going to ask uh, Jane to go up and wait, and I'll ask Derek to come out, and then we'll see where we go with this. But can you begin to ask for this for yourself? Yeah? I'm just going to turn off my mic so that you're not led by my voice, but your own.
Very cool, Abba. You're asking us, do you believe this? Do you, do you in your spirit believe this? Not because Jacob is saying it, but do you think this is true? That's the first question. Do you think it's true? And you're okay if the answer is no. But you're asking the question, do you think it's true? Because you can, you, can, you can work on the no, but you want to ask us so we face it, so we're not, we're not dishonest. Do I really believe that you are igniting a revival that will turn people to know your nearness and greatness, O holy God, especially among teens, 20s, and 30s? That's the first question. Do you really believe this? So we wrestle with that first. Second question you're asking is, can you not let go of me? Can you not let go of me? Can I wrestle you? When I wrestle you, I change you. Can you not let go of me? Will you hold on, Jacob? There'll be no evidence at times. Other times there'll be evidence. But can you hold on to me so I get to do exactly what I want to? Can you persist? The third question is saying, can I by my spirit put on your heart a burden that says, let my people go. Let my people go. Every time you see teens, 20s, 30s, instead of being offended by their obnoxiousness, can you say, let my people go? Because of these I will make a kingdom. Of these I will make a kingdom. Of these I will make a kingdom. Of these I'll make a kingdom. I'll turn the world around through these. That is why I'm sending you out to get them. Get them young so that I have a lifetime to work with them. Changing the shape of families, of nations. Restoring desolate heritages. Cancelling the way things have been done. Look at what I've done with these people here up front. You think I can't do it with another, another, another and another? Let my people go. Can you take on this burden? Spirit of God, would you put this burden on us? Put it heavy on our hearts. Only you can do this. The last question is, can I use you to telescope my nearness and greatness? Can you be my telescope? Can I telescope my nearness and greatness? Can I telescope the nearness and greatness of a holy God through your life? Can I telescope the nearness 
and the greatness of a holy God through you. Can you take that on for me? People don't, people think I'm distant. Can you show them the nearness and greatness of a holy God through your life? Go ahead, Jane. You guys can either turn around or go back to your seats, whatever you want. I didn't think you would turn around. Yeah. Hey, after this song, if you have a need for prayer, feel free to come up. There'll be people here to pray with you. Otherwise, feel free to go down to the uh, auction thingy uh, and spend a lot of money. Um, one last announcement before everybody sings. Make sure if you're coming to the Young Adults Retreat that you pay... Um, Jillian what you owe because uh, right now it's going on a credit card and she's been starving for the last three days and uh, that's one announcement and the second announcement is that um, Anile will give us uh, a schedule of who cleans, who cooks and so on and uh, if you pardon, and uh, who's staying in which room and if you don't like it uh, take it up with me and uh, I'll be wearing that t-shirt so be careful can we sing this song I know we usually sing it to God but can we sing it also thinking of the others we are singing this to yeah. that I searched the world and it didn't fill me that a man's empty praise and treasures that fade they were never enough for us and what we're saying to them is there's nothing, no one better than him and I searched the world Treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along and you put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your life. Oh, I search the world. But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty grace, treasure and I'm never enough. You came along and put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied.
As you go this week, may you know the nearness, may you practice the nearness of a holy God. May you display the greatness of a holy God. May you live a week that is so free of sin because of your practice of the nearness and the greatness of a holy God. May you walk with the responsibility of knowing that you have been called 
to change the course of the earth for the next 70 to 80 years. Because God has found you to be that one man or one woman who can live, announce and ignite a revival of teens, 20s and 30s that's going to spread from life to life, town to town, city to city, nation to nation. At the end of the day, after having done all, we'll still turn to him and say, but we are just unprofitable, unprofitable servants. It's such a pleasure to serve you, King of Kings. Such a pleasure. Lord, would you lay this on our shoulders? Would you lay this responsibility on my shoulder, on our shoulders, to be aware of it? That this is what you're calling us into for the next little while. Doesn't matter where, whether we are over 55 or under 55, this is what you're calling us to. That this week when we wake up in the morning, you'll say, do not let me go. Let me, f- let me bring to pass what I want. Let me change names. Let me change your name. Let me change the names of the X, Y, and Z generation to be called a generation that brought restoration. And on the other hand, I want you to have the audacity to stand for me and say, let my people go. Say to the pharaohs, the herods of the world, let my people go. They belong to me. My son paid the price. Let my people go. Walk in this, guys, walk in this. This is our responsibility. Bear this ark on your shoulders. Carry it well this week. Carry it well. Not by might, not by power, but surely by the presence of the Spirit, by the reminding of the Spirit. Let it be so, God. Let it be so. Amen. I'll ask uh, Sue and Derek and... uh,